And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant and intensely white, as no one, no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah first must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out 
by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So as you guys are uh, taking a seat, um, as we get into our text, it's, it's great because, um, so we've been meeting on Sundays for, for four months, and, uh, and if you don't know how this thing kind of started, it, it started way before us meeting on Sundays. We actually started gathering in those communities that I was talking about, and as those communities grew, uh, they grew into one, two, three, four, five, six communities, and, and, and we really were processing what it looked like to plant a church and what it looked like to plant a church. And, and all the while, while we were, t- we were talking about um, what it would look like to plant a church, uh, the essence of what we were doing in all these communities was really two things. We were getting to know each other. We were learning who each other um, is and, 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 and all that and, and how they work and, and what we're all about. Um, we were really getting at that. But then when we decided really to, to launch and start meeting on Sundays and start doing what we're doing— Another question immediately came out, which is, how do we plan to do what we've been talking about? So we, we, we're like, yeah, we want to love our city. We want, we want to uh, invest in people. We want all of our life to be all about Jesus. And now we're suddenly meeting, and, and now we're all together. And we're like, okay, well, how are we going to do that? Uh, and the reason I say that is because we, if you've been here from the beginning, have been reading through the gospel of Mark. In the first eight chapters of Mark, we've been talking about the same thing over and over and over again, haven't we? Who is Jesus? What is he about? We have found that he is the son of God. We have found that he cares deeply for the brokenness of the world, that he is this kingdom that he is bringing onto the earth, that the old age is gone, the new age is here. And we've seen this over and over and over. And that's been the question on our mind. Who is Jesus? If we are going to be a church that says we're about Jesus, then let's ask the question, what is Jesus about? And we have found in the first eight chapters what Jesus is about. But now... As, as we turn the page into the part two of Mark, as we did last week, um, we get to see a, another piece of what's going on. And that's what we as a church, how, why, why I brought that up is to correlate that we get to see how Jesus plans to do what he's been talking about. See, we know that Jesus is going to fix things, okay? And there's all these ideas of how he's going to fix these things. But now Jesus is going to lay us flat and explain, this is how I plan to do it. And so we're going to get over and over, you're going to be meleeed with this idea of Jesus' march, his walk towards the cross. Now, you have hindsight in knowing what's going to happen to Jesus. But if we're going to enter into the, the story that Mark's laying out here through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we really got to get into uh, the disciples' mind and really ask, Jesus, what are you talking about? Okay, so here, here's what I mean. Let's start in verse 2 um, of Mark chapter 9. If you already haven't opened uh, open there, uh, we're going to read an account first reminding us of, of who Jesus is and, and really uh, summarizing the first eight chapters of, of Mark. And I think it's very intentional here by, by the Holy Spirit. This is what it says, the story that Allison just read. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white. And no one on earth, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So here is Jesus. Um, Peter's just declared who Jesus is. We know, finally, the people in the story, this dramatic irony that's been playing out. We know the people in the story know who Jesus is now. We saw that last week. Now Jesus takes 
Peter, James, and John is kind of his it's center of center of the disciples, that the, the, the middle of all of his disciples. Peter, James, John, they go up this mountain. Luke actually tells us they go up onto this mountain to pray, and suddenly Jesus just like blows up with light, right? Um, Matthew tells us they couldn't even look at him because it's light. Mark is saying his clothes were so white that it's, it's like as if you, you took all the bleach in the world, they wouldn't be that white. There's no amount of bleach that can make him his white. And he's so bright, and here is Jesus standing with, with uh, uh, Moses and Elijah. And he's transfigured. This word transfigured is, uh, the, the Greek word is metamorpho. It's, it's, and you can get where we're going to, it's from metamorphosis. That's where we get our English word metamorphosis. He, he suddenly like changes. It's, it's really, so here's Jesus and he changes into this bright Jesus. Okay? Right. Okay. <laughs> Disciples. Another day with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I, love, I just have to say this because it's so funny. We have... <laughs> Like the church has built statues about Peter and like there's St. Peter's Basilica and there's, there's countless churches with, with Peter's name on it. And we're just told over and over, Peter's just like us, right? He's just like, he doesn't know what to say. So he says something dumb over and over. Like it's just us. And we make statues about him, right? It's funny. Um, and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with him, but Jesus only. Okay, let's, uh, this is the, the, the part of uh, the first part, because we got a lot of text. We're actually going to go through more than Allison read, so I, I got to be quick with this, but let me just stop and as, um, summarize what's, what's taking place and really, I think, try to um, unearth what Mark is trying to get at here. So here is Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus, and immediately what we have to recognize is Peter um, makes this comment, which we're going to come to at the end, but he makes this comment in light of uh, the fact that he knows who Moses and Elijah are. I mean, if you could put yourself in their mind for a second. He knows. He, I mean, you guys, Moses is, is the man to the Jews. I mean, Moses is the guy, the same way that we look back at the cross is the same way the Jews look back at the Exodus, right? So Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, they're singing, and, and, and they're, they're singing this song. And here is, here's Moses, and he saves, he rescues the people out of Egypt, and, and they know this story, right? The Passover lamb. They know Moses, that, that God gives Moses the law to give to the people. He is like, their dude. He, he's like their guy. And he's standing there. Like right there. He's standing with Jesus. And it's not like Elijah's some bum either. Elijah's this prophet in the Old Testament that we see over and over and over defending the name of God in crazy ways. He's a BA prophet because he like, he comes on the scene and he's, he's making fun of other prophets of like Baal of other gods. He doesn't care. He's like defending it left and right. He would defend it to the death, except he never died right? This is how he's literally carried up into heaven on chariots of fire. This is how awesome Moses and Elijah are just having a conversation with Jesus, okay? Now, Peter sees this, and you go, wow. Now, they hear this voice from heaven. Uh, they, 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 they don't know what's going on, but they hear that this is Jesus. You need to listen to Jesus, the, the Father speaking about Jesus. Listen to who he is. Listen to what he has to say. They turn or close their eyes or whatever happens, but as they look up, they see only Jesus. Now, this is not accidental. Accidental? That's not right. Um, th- this, this is on purpose, okay? So, so the, the phrasing of the last part of this story here is they see Jesus only. 
for, for the Jews, as awesome as Moses is and as awesome as Elijah is, as great as these guys are, it, w- w- what Mark and the Holy Spirit are trying to show us is, yes, there is, there is a time for this, but we have to remember Jesus is not just a Savior, a anointed one, but he is the anointed one. And when they look up, they only see Jesus. Because, see, Moses rescued the people physically out of slavery, but Jesus is rescuing us spiritually out of slavery. Moses may have given the law, but Jesus fulfilled the law. Elijah may have never died, but Jesus defeats death. And so now when push comes to shove, only Jesus is there. So let me, let, let me uh, use this, this passage to remind us of what Mark has been trying to show us in the first eight chapters. It is about Jesus. This whole thing is about Jesus. Everything we've been reading is about Jesus. We're actually told in Hebrews chapter 1, the way the book of Hebrews opens up, it says that in the old days, God spoke to us through the prophets. But now in this age, he spoke to us by his very son, who he made an heir of all things and whom he created all things. He's the radiance of the glory of God, which is crazy, right? Because if we know the story of Moses, at one point, Moses, the man, is sitting there and he asks God, hey, let me see your glory. Please, let me see your glory. And God takes Moses, he hides him in a crevice, and he just lets, see, lets him see the back of his glory as he walks away. So he may see, Moses may have saw the glory of God, but Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus only. This is a story about Jesus. We have seen sick people. We have seen lame people. We have seen brokenness. We've talked about a kingdom. But in all of it, we recognize that the only one that matters, the only one still standing, is Jesus only. Now, this is a a, a big deal. Um, And I said, again, we'll come back to to, uh, uh, Peter's comments. But this is a big deal because... They don't know how to respond, and they're, they're really questioning uh, what's going on. And so now on their way down the mountain, they have a lot of questions. They just saw Moses and Elijah, right? Um, and uh, Jesus was so bright, they couldn't look at him, and they hear this voice. And so they're just kind of like, you know, la da da as they go down the mountain. And, and I love Jesus because this is what he says. As they were coming down the mountain, in verse 9, he charged them, not to t- uh, uh, charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, Jesus, he, he likes doing this a lot, like, right? He tells the dude who couldn't speak, and he heals his speech, hey, don't tell anyone. He's like, come on, bro, I can talk now, and you're telling me not to talk. Um, and now it's like, you just saw Moses, Elijah, me, super bright. I need you to keep this on the DL, right? It's like, what? okay, so... Um, he charged him to tell no one until the Son of Man had risen. Verse 10, so they kept this matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Verse 11, and they asked them, okay, so, so there's this question. They see this tra- transfiguration. They're trying to get out what's going on. In verse 11, and they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased. As it is written of him. Okay, so I, I got to unpack this. This is a lot. They're walking down and they just saw um, Elijah and, and something triggers in their mind. So if you open up your Bible, okay, um, oversimplification here, you kind of have part one 
and part two. Okay, you, you, you have the Old Testament and then you have the New Testament. Now, between these two testaments, there's this fancy word called the intertestamental period. And it's 400 years before Jesus, the, the, the book of Matthew, and after Malachi, okay, in the Old Testament. It's a 400-year period called the intertestamental period. Now, the reason this is important is at the very end of part one of our story, the Old Testament, the very last words from, from Malachi in chapter four are this. And they know this. This is what they're ruminating on for four. 400 years. This is what it says in Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. The last thing they will read in all of part 1, the Old Testament. Remember the law of my servant Moses. Just saw Moses. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Harab for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah. Just saw Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will, he will turn the hearts of their fathers to, the chil- to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So the last thing that the people know in the Old Testament, the last thing the Jews hear is, Elijah is supposed to come. And when Elijah comes, then you know, because he's going to prepare the way, that the Messiah has come. Okay? Now, Jesus is talking with Elijah. Peter sees Elijah, and he goes, this must be it. This must be it. So he kind of, he thinks he's kind of slick, and he goes, hey, isn't Elijah supposed to come, and then you're supposed to kind of come and take over Rome, and and then then we're kind of going to rule this place? Isn't that how this whole thing is supposed to go? And Jesus goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Um, Elijah already came. Um, he already came and he already prepared the way for me. And, and he actually al- already died. He, he was murdered. And, and what we come to find out that, that, that Elijah was the symbol of this man we met earlier named John the Baptist. And what Jesus says in he, answering their question with a question, like only Jesus can, is he says the same way you don't understand part one of the story, the same way that you think that Elijah is supposed to come, and you didn't see that it was John the Baptist, is the same way that you don't understand what I am supposed to do. So let me flesh out what I mean. The disciples may know who Jesus is in this moment, but they are utterly confused as to how how or what he is doing with who he is. So they think, and this is what all Jews are thinking, they think that he's going to come and save the day literally. I mean, no one's disagreeing about how he's going, but some think maybe he's going to overthrow politics or he's going to come with the sword. And they have these preconceived notions of who Jesus is. And Jesus says, you don't understand. You're missing what I'm trying to tell you. Because the, the, the truth is, if I just came and saved you physically, there would still be brokenness. There would still be spiritual depravity. I'm doing something more than that, which causes us to stop and begin to ask um, one really good question, and I think um, you, myself, I, I wish everyone who's ever lived and ever will live would ask this question. Um, and, and, and it's the question we've been asking over and over, which is the reflection of this transfiguration, and it, and it is, who, who do I say Jesus is? I mean, Jesus asked Peter this very question, and here the disciples have these preconceived notions of who Jesus is. And listen, let's not hide for a second. You have preconceived notions of who Jesus is. If we want to even stop and build up some straw men, some of the obvious, right? You have like the the love and peace Jesus, right? So he's sticking flowers and guns. He's probably a liberal. um, And and he he would never harm anyone. And he would never do that, right? And and unfortunately, like you read the end of the story. And as awesome as that Jesus is, um, he kind of gets blown up in Revelation when he comes with the sword. And there's so much blood that it's running in the streets, Right? 
So he's not putting a, he's taking the shotgun, right? You know what I mean? Okay, no, he's not, doesn't have a shotgun. That's totally different political. Let's not go down that right now. Um, so, so you have this, now, 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 Jesus is obviously a, 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 a ju- now he's not just love and peace, but there's more to it. But, but we have this, can see, right? But now check it out, because even you, some of you like, yeah, you're right. He's not just love and peace. He is justice. And so you, you have this kind of like justice Jesus, that if you don't get it right, you're going to hell. If you watch certain movies, you're going to hell. If you say the word hell, you're going to hell. And so here you find this Jesus who's about getting it right, getting it right, you don't wear certain things. You don't hang out with certain people. And unfortunately, Jesus is hanging out with like people who steal money from their jobs. He's hanging out with people who go door to door selling their body. These are the type of people who Jesus is hanging out with. So it's not just justice. It's not love and peace. And you know what's crazy is even right next to that, um, that, uh, that justice Jesus is, I don't know any better way to say it, but we see this as kind of, and I don't know how to classify him, so I'll call him like the American Jesus. The, the, he's, he's probably a conservative. Um, he doesn't like immigration law. He, he, he's, he's very, and so he had, from this ivory tower, you look at this, this Jesus who, who's way more political than you're willing to admit, and you have these preconceived notions of what Jesus is supposed to do. Like, like um, for, forget the fact that, that all of the Bible is written from the view of an illegal alien. Forget that idea. Like, like a, we, we don't see any of that. The entire Bible is written from the perspective of someone who doesn't belong in that land, an illegal alien. But, but this is the political Jesus, and every single one of those, again, straw men. We, we can go on and on and on. These are obvious ones that we can blow up because Jesus doesn't land there. But there is a Jesus, just like the disciples who see what he's supposed to do, that I think we do have to wrestle with. And it's the Jesus that looks just like you. And maybe he has flavors of those other Jesuses. But for some reason, I don't know how this happened, um, he's never, ever upset by anything you do. He has all the views that you have. He's okay that you throw your money away like a moron sometimes. He's okay that you, you sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. He's okay with that. I mean, yeah, like I, I can see, I can dissect different verses to kind of justify what I'm doing here. This Jesus is okay with, with who, and he never can offend you. He can't offend you at all. Well, what's crazy about this Jesus that looks just like me, that I have to continue to wrestle with, is if he doesn't offend me, I have no basis biblically to, to where, so when you talk with people, specifically people who aren't Christian, if you're not a Christian here, then I'd hope you would wrestle with this idea. But th- this idea is like, well, this is what I think Jesus is like. And you want to go, why do you think that? Like, where are you getting this information from? And the disciples are doing the exact same thing. They have an idea of what Jesus is supposed to do. This Messiah we've been waiting for for 400 years of, of nothing. No one said anything. And you're the Messiah. You're, man, we are poor. We're broken. We, we need help. You're supposed to come and save the day. And Jesus is talking about dying. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to them because they have these preconceived notions of who Jesus is. And, and Jesus helps us um, get around some of this and understand it a, a, a little more by an example. Mark tells us this story as to why Jesus is, is talking about dying and why he's trying to explain to Peter, James, and John as uh, they walk down this mountain that something more needs to take place. For, for Jesus just to come and save the day, there would still be all the brokenness that we've experienced in the first eight chapters, wouldn't there be? 
Jesus is doing something different than, than the disciples want him to do. And this is what they, they see when they come down the mountain. I'm going to read this story, um, the whole thing, and then I'm going to go back and we're just going to summarize it for the sake of time. This is what it says in verse 14. And when they, this is uh, Jesus and Peter, James, and John, um, came to the disciples, the other disciples who were not Peter, James, and John, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him and asked him, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able to. His disciples are kind of like, okay. Um, verse 19, and he asked them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has uh, often... And it often casts him into fire and to water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on him and help us. Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. Verse 26. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said he was dead, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and he rose and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked them privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Matter of fact, some of your translations might say by prayer and uh, fasting. So here is the story. Jesus and his, um, his uh, three partners are coming down. They see the disciples and there's this arguing going on with the crowd who Jesus has fed over and over and over again. With the scribes who Jesus has argued with over and over and over again. And Jesus goes, what's going on? And somebody steps up and says, hey, listen, um, I have this demon boy it's trying to kill him, and your, your disciples can't take care of it. And so Jesus, I love it, because then he's kind of, the demon throws him on uh, the little boy on the ground, and Jesus, like a doctor, is like, how long has this been happening, right? He's just kind of observing this. And so he's rolling around on the ground, and, and Jesus uh, uh, continues to get frustrated with this faithless generation, right? And eventually he, he heals the boy, and there's this little conversation between Jesus and this man, which we'll get to in a second. But here's what I want you to see overarching. You, you have to begin to think for a moment that Jesus has to look at Peter, James, and John and go, can you not see why I can't just come and live in an ivory tower? Like, can you not see the brokenness that is around you? Here's a, a little boy from, like, childhood who has a demon in him, who doesn't let him talk, who, who throws him in fire, who tries to drown him over and over, trying to destroy him. And, and you want to go live, you have this preconceived notion, but this is the issue. His disciples, who we've spent time with, they're arguing with people who he's fed, with the scribes who he's talked to, in the midst of all of this, there's this brokenness that Jesus, it's like, I can't, it's so hard for me not to go. Mark is just pointing to this, going, this is why I've got to come. I've been trying to show you that my kingdom is being established. You saw a glimpse for a moment of how good it can be. I want everyone to experience this. You want me just to come do things your way. But there's so much brokenness that has to be taken care of. 
And, and, and all, all of what's going on, here's this father who absolutely gets it. I mean, tell me your heart does not resonate with what he says. Like, Jesus, you, you can do anything. You, you could do anything. Like, like, if you could just help us just a little bit, if I, if I could help you. Like, all things are possible for he who believes. And then there's this response. Jesus, I believe there's moments where I feel like I'm not going to look at the, the screen anymore. There's moments where I feel like I'm not going to spend money in this area anymore. There's, there's moments where I feel like I, I want to read my Bible. There's moments where I feel like I want to pray, where I feel like you're close, but there's moments where I don't. And there's moments where I feel like I tep- take steps back. And there's moments where I feel like I'm broken. I believe Jesus. I do. But there's so many things I'm wrestling with. There's so many things that are going on that I struggle with. And that this is Jesus being who Jesus is, and he's not the same Jesus that you want him to be. And this is why you believe, but you struggle with unbelief. And our hearts go, yeah, bro. Like, yes. What you're going through, I feel. And this, at the pinnacle, is why Jesus has to do things the way that he is doing them. Because there is a hole, a massive, massive hole that Genesis 3 created in all of us. And you can walk in the grocery line and you can see 10 ways to have a better love life and 15 ways to do this and and self-help books and, and look at your inner person. But in the end, all of it is going to let you down. And there's something that whether you want to admit it or, or people outside of this room want to admit it, we're searching for something. There's, there's something, this eternity that's stored up in our heart as Ecclesiastes 3 says. And in this moment, this man says, I believe, but there's this hole. You've got to help me here. Help my unbelief. And this is why Jesus has to do things the way that he needs to do them. Because yes, he can do things the way you want to do them, but you will still be unhappy. Tell me, tell me that idol hasn't let you down. Idols never fail to fail. Over and over and over. You go to him, you go to her, you'll flirt, you'll spend, you'll work, you'll do over and over and over again. And why are you still empty, bro? Why are you still empty? This is why Jesus needs to do things the way that he plans to do them. Let's get at exactly what he plans to do. This is what it says in verse 30. Then they went on from there, Jesus and the disciples, and passed through uh, Galilee. And uh, he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask. I don't know how much more plain Jesus can make it. They know he's the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise again. Matter of fact, at the end of our story, the disciples still don't get it, that he was supposed to die and rise again. And they're questioning, you're supposed to die and rise again. And this is Jesus, as he sets his disciples aside, they go to Galilee and listen to the text. He doesn't want anyone to know because he's trying to explain something to them. This is the way it has to be. For me, and this is the beauty of Christianity, different than any other religion, for me to fix this brokenness, to fill that hole in your heart, for, for, for you to see the pain, the fear that you live with, the anxiety you live with every single day, the hurt you know all too well, I have to enter into it. For me to fix it, I have to enter into it. Hebrews 4 tells us that he's a faithful high priest. See, in the Old Testament, priests would make sacrifices to God. They would go, but... 
but, but it was like temporary. It, it, it was half-hearted in some ways because they, they, they didn't quite understand what was going on in the midst of all these people. But Jesus is a faithful high priest. He knows what it's like to be tempted for 40 days, man. 40 days. He knows what it's like to lose his friends and weep. He knows what it's like to feel the the unbelievable um, burden of having your friends betray him. This is Jesus entering into our brokenness, and this is why he has to die. He, He does it for the joy that is set before him. Hear me. He does it for you, for the glory of God. This is, this is the Jesus we serve. Muhammad ain't doing that. Buddha ain't doing that. Joseph Smith, sure in the heck ain't doing that. This, this is the beauty of the Jesus, the God we serve. Now, um, at the end of this, this story, and as Jesus explains to the disciples that I need to enter into this brokenness, usually as a pastor, I have to, um, I have to come up with implications like kind of marching orders out of here. Here's what we do with this idea that Jesus enters into our brokenness. Here's what we need to do. But I don't need to do that because Jesus does that for us. And he gives us kind of two things that we, uh, we can see in response to Jesus entering our brokenness that we can now do because we see that Jesus has an opportunity in all of his glory and all of his beauty to be a king by every worldly statue. Like he could come if he want, bring 10,000 angels and just annihilate Rome. He could. But he chooses to be broken. He chooses to submit to the Father for us. And our response is a couple things. The first thing is this in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. So now that Jesus and the disciples are walking in, when he was in the house, he asked them, what, are you discuss- what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever receives one such, uh, uh, one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. So now after explaining that it's not about being first, it's not about me coming to be some earthly king in this moment, but it's about me being a servant, me dying for you, me giving everything for you, me entering into your brokenness. The disciples are kind of trailing backwards, arguing about who's the greatest. And so Jesus, in his frustration, sits down and goes, get over here. Gosh, get over here. Okay? And he calls them over and he goes, you still don't get it. You you still don't get it. I'm not that way. That's not this type of kingdom. It's not hiking the corporate ladder. It's not stepping on people to get your way. If you want to be first, if that's your, your heart's desire, then you serve. So, so you can, this is beautiful because you can look around the room and you can go, man, I'm coming to church and my life is for you. I give everything to you. That's what my life is about. I, I don't come in, nobody, nobody said hey to me. No, nobody came up and, and talked to me. Man, go talk to them. Your life is for them. We enter community and we're, we're sitting around living rooms, recognizing, looking across from each other, going, man, my life is devoted because of Jesus Christ giving everything to you. And maybe you don't believe me. Philippians chapter 2 um, and can, can quickly show you that you're wrong. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than, than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This, these are our marching orders. This is what we're supposed to do. That, that recognizing that God is not who we thought he was, that he's actually this humble servant who gives himself away. We follow little Christs as Christians. We follow Jesus in that same direction. And, and, and my job and your job, our job is to give our lives to each other. What do you need? How can I serve you? How can I help? I, I'm not allowing the American mentality of consumerism to enter my mind and I'm fighting against it, that this world is about me, that you can have it your way, that you can do all these things, that there's iPhones, there's iPads, there's, there's other things that have my and I in them, right? Um, there's all, the, all, all, all these things that we can get caught up in, but we recognize Jesus flips everything on his head and he says, my life was for you and your lives are for each other. But he, he goes on and he says something really awesome from there. Not only is there uh, the, the idea that the first should be last, but there's actually no competition when we process this the right way. Verse 38, the last section of verses we'll read. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me for the one who is not against us is for us for truly i say to you whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to christ will by no means lose his reward and suddenly it's not this um who's better gosh this is the worst this is the worst i see it the worst in, in worship teams in, in my time of ministry like we try to come up and we we think because we have this gift we're awesome right and then you've got this lowly dude who's just like like slugging it out he's there every sunday he man he's giving his, his offering he's just loving jesus he's up every morning reading his bible nobody knows who the dude is until you get to heaven he's rolling hard in a rolls royce and you're freaking in a go-kart okay and and, and, and we're reminded that there's no competition. There's no competition in this. This is a reflection of what Jesus is doing. So here's what I want to leave you with. Um, it's hard for us to do that. It's hard for us to be servants to one another, to respond properly to what Jesus has done. And, and to be honest with you, there's two things that have to take place for us to do this right. And they're both found at the very beginning of our text this morning. The first one is, is, is exactly what Peter says, is exactly what we need not do. Because so Peter is looking, if we remember, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And what does he say? Hey, Jesus, it's cool that we're here, but maybe we should build tents. Maybe we should build these tents for you, uh, for, for, for Moses, and, and for Elijah. And if, again, we're reminded, he doesn't know what to say, so he says this because he's terrified. And the word for tents um, in the Greek is actually the word for tabernacle. And, and, and what Peter is saying in this moment is, those, there's this crazy revelation of who Jesus is. He, his knee-jerk reaction, because he doesn't know what to say, immediately goes back to, this is how it's supposed to go. Tim, Tim Keller, um, I, I don't think I have this quote for you guys on the screen, but I, I think he says it perfectly, because um, this, uh, this is how he says it. Um, After God's glory came down on Mount Sinai, the Hebrew people built a tabernacle. Why? Most religions have recognized that there is a wide gap of some kind between deity and humanity. Therefore, many religions have temples or tabernacles with priests and sacrifices and rituals to transform your consciousness or to take away your sin, to uh, mediate the gap 
and protect human beings from the divine presence. What Peter is actually saying when he says this is, we need a tabernacle. We need to set up rituals to protect us from the presence of God. So Peter in this moment doesn't know what to do, and so his knee-jerk reaction is religion. Religion. And this is your heart, right? Because um, who's the best? And, and, And the competition piece comes from religion. It comes from legalism. It comes from how you do things certain ways and how you get it right. And how often have we talked about this? Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're a good person. What does that have to do with the cross? Here in this moment, Peter is responding to to, to the propensity of what his heart knows, which is religion. There's something bright. There is God. I need need to bottle him up. I need to put him in a tent. I need him to be controlled but you cannot strong arm Jesus. You can't strong arm your faith. You can't strong arm grace. You can't. And and lastly, I I think it's important for us to know how that we can do this is um, this word transfigured, and this is where I'll close. This word transfigured is actually only found um, two other places in the Bible. Outside of this story in the Gospels, it it mentions mentions this in all four Gospels, this transfiguration story. Um, And in both instances, this word refers to you. And it refers to me. It takes place in Romans 12, where it says that you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it takes place in 2 Corinthians 3, when it says you need to be transformed into the image of Christ. See, the, the only way that you're going to do this the only way that you're going to be able to serve, the only way you're going to be able to submit and not go to legalism is over and over. Hear me, like a grown-up, be intentional about your relationship with God. That you would be metamorphosist. Okay? That you, that you would be transfigured. That, that, that you, your heart and your mind, you would begin to see things differently. That you would not care, that the fear of man would slowly grow dim, that you would look at the eyes of Jesus and everything would fade away, and you would slowly become like him. And by that happening, suddenly, out of nowhere, Galatians 5 tells us you're going to be more loving, you're going to be more joyful, you're going to be good, you're going to be kind, you're going to be self disciplined, that you're not focusing on getting it right, but you're focusing on the one who does. And the, the fruit, the nature of that idea is immediately correlating itself to getting it right. Do you understand the difference? So, so, so it's a pushing against religion by focusing, by having your heart and mind transformed for Jesus Christ. And this is hard, man. Anybody who's had kids knows this is hard. Right now, like, I'm snuggling with Eve, and she's two, and I feel like I never, ever, ever want this to end. Sometimes I'm making my seven-year-old Corbin come up and snuggle with me. I don't skateboard and all, don't matter, okay? And I'm having, a, like, like, there's a moment where I recognize this will not always be the case, And it's hard to let what we know naturally, what we want naturally go. But this is what he's called us to. This is what what, what we're to be. Not just for us, not just for the glory of God, the most important thing, but also for those we work with, for for those who we're, we're related to, for those we're friends with, that we would be a glimpse, like Jesus gave a quick glimpse of what heaven looked like. We would be a glimpse of what a real accountant looks like, of what a real mechanic looks like, of what a real firefighter looks like, of what a real teacher looks like, that they're honest, they're fair, they're loving, they're caring, they're kind, they're good, they're self-controlled, that we would be glimpses to our community. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done. 
It's uh, a lot of text we read this morning, and, and there's a lot of things that we can talk about. Um, but Holy Spirit, we're grateful for the direction in which you led us, that we can see that in the end it's only about you. And if we, we see that it's you, that, that everything in the Old Testament has been pointing to you, that every law, every person, every action, every story is about you. And if that's the case, then we need to trust you and how you want to do things. And we recognize that you do things sometimes the way that we wouldn't do things. And so help us. Like we believe but there's moments of unbelief and we want to submit to you. We, we want to be about your business. We want to be about uh, the things that you're about, but, but we, we don't believe sometimes. Help our unbelief. Help, help, help. And then we pray that as we continue to be formed into your image, that we would be glimpses of heaven, that we would serve each other well, that community would be about others because it's ultimately about you that there'd be no competition in the economy of God, that we would just melee our mind, reminding us that we need to be transformed as well and not uh, revert back to religion to try to put you in a box and control you with our actions. Help us. We believe, but help our unbelief. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.